Josh, uh, thanks a little bit uh, uh, for taking the time to come and join us. You have a, an awesome presentation that you gave last year, uh, and uh, we're definitely looking forward to hearing what you have to tell us about uh, this year. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Josh is the uh, organizer and host of the um, Regenerative Science of Regenerative Organic Cannabis Cultivation Conference. I'm probably the only person other than him that could actually recite that from memory <laughs> from full. Um, but it is the best uh, uh, conference that's in person. If you want to get out there, uh, get some awesome seeds to uh, to trade on Sunday, uh, or you want to come hang out with some great people and and, uh, and you know hang out with them in person, learn from them, and uh, uh, and really have a, a kind of a community family type experience in, in the cannabis industry. It really is one of the most healing uh, and positive and uh, and recharging events that you can get as far as refilling your batteries after a, a long year uh, of growing. And thanks for joining us, Josh. Tell us, you tell hear us me? about yourself and your farm. Yep. Cool. Um, yeah, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I know others have noted before, but this is a really just just cheers to you, Steve. Uh, I think this is a really cool thing um, that you do um, for the community. I mean, you know, it's for really no other reason. It's just a thing that you do to help out the community, and so. Um, yeah, it's been awesome. I've been listening in all weekend as I've been working in the garden and catching bits and pieces of each talk. And it's it's really cool. Uh, I got, also got to participate alongside you in the Aquaponics Association Conference. There were some similar folks talking. Um, but it's cool to see the industry develop and grow. Um, it, it, you know, just hearing people's research in the, in the last couple of years has been really interesting. I was telling my wife before I hopped on, I was like, man, there's all these people in university and with a bunch of money doing what I'm doing, but they're testing it. And I was like, it's really cool. And like, you know, um, I kind of slowly fell into this, you know, I'm kind of the, if you will, the cook that, that doesn't cook with the recipe, but has learned slowly over time, you know, a little bit of this is too much, a little bit that is not enough type thing. And that's how I approach uh, my relationship to aquaponics. Um, I was actually gonna see if I can figure out how to screen share just for shits and giggles. Um, to show some, some a couple photos of my uh, first experiences in aquaponics. How do I do the screen share, Steve? Share content, screen. All right. Can you see it? Uh, just give it a sec here. Uh, doesn't look like we can. Do you want to try maybe screen sharing again? Yep. Should we just be able to hit screen share and then choose the window that works for you? Oh, there, I didn't hit start broadcast. There you go. All right. So there's just like, I've, you know, I've lost a lot of photos, but just uh, this is back in 2013. I was setting up, um, you can see this is the first greenhouse with all the blue barrels in the background. And what I was growing here was microgreens and um, tomatoes and I this I just kind of want to share this to share my process see I was growing you know here's tomatoes just starting out um, May 29th and this is in um, Minnesota just outside the Twin Cities about an hour um, so it's kind of earlier in the year <clears throat> to be getting these going but what the system I, I started out with was to grow microgreens and I ended up transitioning to grow tomatoes in this kind of drain to waste system where I would put living soil in these five gallon bags 
um, and I would put a drip system on them that was being fed by an aquaponic fish system. I'm just gonna skip through here. Here's a simple drain away ghost pepper system that I did right next to it. Um, just trying to figure some stuff out, but I'll get to the ones that I wanna show you here in just a sec. Maybe I need to do this. There we go. It's probably a better one. Sorry, I'm, I'm not a super prepared slide um, person, but where's the shot? There's a good one. So I started out, uh, probably was two years before this in 2011-ish that I, I, I was needing some money. I was in Minnesota farming vegetables, um, not making enough in the winter and answered a Craigslist ad for an, for an aeroponic, or I think it's a hydroponic grower. And I got the opportunity to work for Living Greens Farms, which is in Faribault, um, Minnesota. And it was just an empty warehouse when I showed up and we de designed an aeroponic lettuce grow um, in which we grew lettuce um, from seed to finish in like 20 some days, 17, 18, 19, 20 days. You know, like we, we started about 30 days and worked our way down. And it was really cool, but, but the, the kind of thing that doesn't, you know, aeroponics is super sustainable in, in one facet that it uses a lot less water and a lot less energy. But the, uh, the fact that I didn't like about it is that it, because of the mist, the fog is so fine, you can't use organic nutrients. So you have to use inorganic nutrients. And to me, that trade-off wasn't, it wasn't worth it. You know, I wanted to design a system that could do both. And so what you see here is, is after, you know, uh, three months after I was working there, I, I, built my own system and started growing aquaponically thanks to Murray Hollum actually. So I, while I was working there, I started Googling like organic uh, aeroponics, organic hydroponics and, and um, um, Sylvia, what's her last, Sylvia, um, the aquaponics. Yeah, yeah, the aquaponics source. And Murray Hollum were, were the folks that I found back then. And so I ordered Murray Hollum's series. There was a video series and a book and I read up and I started doing a drain to waste, you know, flood and drain system and simple filters. And then I built this whole greenhouse system to kind of combine the two ideas. And so what I have here is this, you know, simple four by eight tray. Uh, the system kind of e evolved to a four by eight tray that I had a gravel bed on that would trickle aquaponic nutrient water over the top, similar to an NFT, not a nutrient film technique, not non-fungible token. Um, and, and then I would lay a coconut core mat over that, a woven coconut core mat, and I would broadcast my microgreens. Um, and, then, and then for the first few days, they'd get an overhead spray right there. You can see um, kind of beginning stages of it. And then after they get about to that stage, I, you know, three days, I'd turn the overhead spray off. They'd get hit with the, the aquaponic nutrients and 10 to 14 days, sometimes 20, depending on the, on the, on the cultivars growing, I would deliver it fresh to a, a chef. Um, so that's kind of like how I got into the whole thing. Let me stop the screen share. Can you see me? Yep. Okay. Once Great. I, um, kind of got into that, I started, I want, I got into tomatoes and I, and I showed you guys that that rack of ghost peppers. Uh, it was kind of a happenstance deal. I had done a, a favor for a neighbor or farmer, and he kind of owed me one. And so one day he brought over three flats of ghost peppers, and I had never heard of them. This was 2013, um, maybe 12 when he brought them over. Anyways, um, 
I threw him in the in the in that system just for shits and giggles. I was like, first, I was like, what am I going to do with the hottest pepper in the world? Like, no one's going to eat this shit. Um, but I grew him anyways, uh, just kind of like testing the system alongside those tomatoes. And um, I ended up finding a really cool market for them, by the way. And they were worth a lot. And it was like a total score. I was pulling in off that row. I was pulling in like seven, eight hundred bucks a week um, for probably 10 weeks. It was pretty cool. Um, but I, I learned through that system that, that, you know, when I was growing just in, in a, a, a media bed system that I didn't have enough nutrients for the, the tomatoes. Um, and so I had to start supplementing. And it's and then when I started using the soil, like we saw in those pots, I started to get really good results. So I had this five gallon pots of, of living soil and then I would feed with the fish water. And it was a very basic uh, 750 gallon system, <clears throat> three IBC totes, uh, you know, kind of linked together with an overhead media bed, gravel media bed. And it would just go you know, through a swirl filter and up there and it was very simple. <clears throat> and then it would go, go out, you know, I think once or twice three times a day would go out and feed those, um, those pots. And it, you know, that was the big aha moment for me um, to where I got to, okay, the fish water is really good in combination with the soil for, for tomatoes and some of these, these things. And so when I um, moved back to Washington later on that year, that, in that photo, that was 2013 in the fall, by 2014 in January, I was back in Washington uh, growing cannabis and started approaching it with the same concept. So I built, you know, my, in my first kind of warehouse that I had gotten set up later on that year, <clears throat> I built a, a, a big similar system, a 750 gallon, three IBC totes linked together system. And, um, and I had a couple bunk, you know, I call them bunk beds, but two layers of media beds where I was growing plants in to kind of filter. And then, you know, and that was how I fed my living, my raised, containerized living soil uh, beds at the time. I did that for about two years in this warehouse and it worked pretty well. I, I ran into a couple issues along the way. I learned that you can't use drip irrigation with, with organics. Um, I didn't go to school and people weren't talking about it or I wasn't finding the information at this time. So I kind of had to learn through trial and error, unfortunately. Um, <clears throat> but what, what kind of like turned over in my head was, and actually, Steve actually played a big role when Steve uh, started doing videos and talking about uh, aerobic stabilization of the solids. Uh, I remember Steve and the, the, the other guy up over in Australia, um, the, the redhead with the beard, I forget his name, I apologize, but he's done a ton of uh, aquaponic videos for years and I've been watching him and and so I learned about how to do that. And then I started, uh, you know, aerobically stabilizing my fish waste. Rob, Rob, Bob, exactly. Thank you, sir. Um, um, and so that, then I would start taking part that aerobically stabilized fish poop, right? So you come to your, now, now I've advanced to radial flow filters, right? So the bottom of the radial flow filter, I'm pouring out my, my fish poop and then I put it into another brewer <clears throat> and, uh, or I put it into a brewer and I let it aerobically stabilize for a couple months. After a couple months, I can come down and pull that off and, uh, I put it into another brewer. You know, I use for, for my math, I use five gallons of, of aerobically stabilized fish poop to 95 gallons of water. Um, and I'll add five ounces of molasses and let that brew for 30 hours. And then I apply it to my soil beds as an inoculant. Um, it's a little bit different than, than the, 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 the technique that the, the other folks were talking about. There's like three folks on this panel or on this conference that have talked about using 
fish waste uh, and applying it to soil. And as I understand, um, they were all doing it in terms in a, in a container system, right? And so in a container system, when you're growing a plant in a container, whether it be a pot or even a grow bed that's, that's not connected to the earth, it's a container, you know, um, you're gonna run out of nutrients. You have to replenish those. And so I saw what I saw was folks doing doing these different experiments where they were doing you know, three quarters fish poop to water, half fish poop to water, quarter whatever it was, and they were kind of dialing in the ratios. And so for me, in a in a true living living soil system, and and the way I define that is is actually connected to the earth. Um, that I, the plants can actually connect to the earth and, and learn to do the things outside of my knowledge and outside of my experience and outside of my inputs. Um, and that's where I, <clears throat> where I get really excited. And so I started out dumping a lot of this, this, this fish poop compost tea when I first started building my garden and all over my property. And over a period of time, I ran into some issues. I had to learn again. Um, I'm always learning from mistakes. I had to learn again that I, that I was pushing the system too hard with too many, too much nitrogen. And I had pest outbreak. And so I, I slowly kind of had to learn over time to use it less is a feed that is my point uh, in my system where it's connected to the earth and more as an inoculant where, where basically once a month I'm adding a, a boost of this you know and, and if I want to do too much it's a little bit too much and I don't do it in past flower too you know so I'll probably in a cycle I'll probably boost it two maybe three times with this uh this composted fish poop and I found tremendous results honestly um I'm, I'm not, I wish I could go and walk you out and show you, show you my system, but it is a massive storm here in Washington right now. So I'm kind of stuck in the office. <clears throat> um, so that's been going on for a few years and it's, and I've had great success. I use that, that um, composted fish poop in my outdoor beds. I use it in my greenhouses. Um, I can use it in potted plants when I need to, to feed. Um, I just don't personally don't grow that way a, a ton. It's um it's a lot of effort for me to, to do up potting. So I like growing in the beds where I can just stick a plant in and it grows and I don't have to mess with it too much. Um, I also add it to my compost pile. So in addition to, 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 to brewing fish poop compost, I, I make regular compost um, out of, you know, the cannabis plants and different plants that I'll, sometimes I'll get some stuff from, from out in the community um, and I get a lot of wood chips dropped off here from uh, arborists. And so I make compost out of all that. And out of each pile, when I started off, I inoculate it with the fish poop. Um, and I also inoculate it with a liquid IMO, uh, KNF uh, technique, where I'm trying to boost both the bacterial and the fungal loads. And so that I can have a super high, fungally dominant, totally diverse compost that when I go to apply or top, or top dress with that, it's fully loaded with with all that I can get in there. And um, that's, that's kind of been, been my game plan with, with aquaponics. You know, I have a, I have a lot, of, lot of small systems around the property and I play around and with koi. Um, I'm really into, you know, koi and, and you know, more, mostly for the aesthetics. Um, that's why I was asking questions the other day about what, what the breeding goals were with the koi. And because um, I, I, you know, as, as far as I see, most people are doing it for the aesthetics, but I, I like that they were just trying to keep their system clean. I like that that answer it was a beautiful answer that they wanted to breed their own course. So they didn't have to bring anything else in and they could keep their system pathogen free. Um, so I've, I've kind of transitioned now to uh, a, a bigger 
and I wish I could walk walk you guys outside, but it's it really is dumping so hard we wouldn't have a good time. At least I wouldn't. Um, I've transitioned to like a farm scale um, or you know uh, farm scale uh, uh, aquaponic system, and so my cannabis garden is about an acre in in size. You know, it's a it's a 150 by 250 foot rectangle, so it's a little bit under an acre. Um, and on the outside of it, it's also sloped too. And so on the, on the outside of it, on the, on the downslope, I dug a big pond one year. It's probably a hundred by a hundred feet. Um, maybe, you know, ranges from two feet down to very deep, 14 feet, you know, pretty deep in some spots. And, um, <clears throat> and then I dug a trench up, up the hill, you know, through my can, the middle of my cannabis garden and, and it goes all the way through the whole thing. And then I dug another tiny pond that is about 14 feet round and is, is very, is about 10 feet deep in slopes, like a big cone. And so I got in there with a shovel and, and hand sculpted, sculpted the thing. So it's a big cone. And I made essentially a, a radial flow filter, right, with a, with a bottom that all the sediment's going gonna to go into. And I lined the whole thing and I lined the trough and I filled it with gravel. And so I kind of made making a stream, right? You can see what I'm doing. Um, I threw a couple logs across this 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 cone bottom thing and uh, put a 50 gallon barrel in the middle of it, you know, and made my my radial flow filter. And then and then the water transitions downhill through the ditch filled with gravel, and then hits um, an ebb and flow table, and goes into uh, what I call a it's a reservoir, the final reservoir, and then it flows on down into the pond. <clears throat> And from that 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 reservoir, I can I can pull up into my big fifteen hundred gallon um, tank and and pump out into my whole system and even to my house is the plan. I, I've just kind of got it going this this fall, and so uh, it's it's filtering. The water's getting cleaner and cleaner. Um, I'm gonna wait probably till the spring before I. <clears throat> oh, there you go. Thanks, Steve. You can see right. Yeah, you can look. Get the next one up. Go to the next uh, one over. There you go on that. All right there you go. That's the. That's the. Uh, oh, maybe it's at the end. That little image there was the radio flow filter, if you will, and um, all the. So the other cool thing is that all all the water off my property. You know, I have a really wet property. Um, and all the, the water off all my buildings, this greenhouse that you're looking at right now, um, it flows into this stream and into this pond and it just fills up. And that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gearing up to um, being set up for, um, you know, having supplying all my water next year um, directly from the system, you know, my house, my, my garden, the whole damn thing, um, <clears throat> which is really exciting to me. And, 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 and I, I'm worried about water. I'm up in, in Northwest Washington, surrounded by water. We create our, our energy out, actually out of water runoff, uh, snow melt. We have so much of it, but in the summer we hit drought and um, you know, statewide, they're gonna start charging a lot for water. So I'm really, really concerned with that. And, and I see it as, as part, of, part of my duty, you know, as a, as a natural farmer um, to, to conserve that resource and to, you know, sequester it back in the ground, you know, where we want it. You know, so my pond isn't lined. It's a natural pond and I have many swales and, and um, things to help the water kind of 
sink down into <clears throat> the table, the water table, to uh, to to build that bank. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the, the the name of my game, and I just uh, you know I guess the 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 gist of the point that I want to get crossed in explaining that is that. Um, there's lots of different ways to play with aquaponics. There's lots of different ways to, you know, really what I'm talking about is playing with the different biology sets, the aquatic and the terrestrial biology sets together, um, which, which you know, other folks do sometimes with the, uh, the dual root zone. I'm doing it kind of the opposite way. You know, we're growing in the soil and, and adding the, the fish poop or the fish water to the system. And I really like the benefits, and um, it's it's a system that I think everybody who has a permaculture farm should have some sort of setup where they're collecting water, collecting rainwater, filtering it through a, a, some sort of media system, and reusing that water and reusing those nutrients back into the system. Like it's just it's right there, easy to grab. Um, and I, and I honestly think it's not talked about very much. You know, you see all these beautiful organic farms. Look at this, this picture is of this fall when <clears throat> things are being taken down and pretty gnarly looking, but you can see the system um, as I was launching it <clears throat> in the video. You can see right in here, I have French drains installed where so all the water that comes off the greenhouse hits the French drain, goes into this system right there. There's the cistern or reservoir where I pull off into my 1500 gallon tank. Um, Yeah, I'm not following chat, Steve. Uh, um, I wonder if you could field some chat questions for me at this point. Uh, yeah. Um, what kind of challenges have you had uh, uh, as far as trying to get all of the aquaponics incorporated in with the soil? I know you had some issues getting your your uh, uh, little spring uh, plumbed and stuff like that. I know you can see it here in the uh, kind of the upper portion here. This is your upper pond, right? Yeah, that's the, the upper pond or the filter, radial flow filter, um, if you will. So you can see there the water coming and that's being pumped up from the bottom of, of the lower pond. Um, and it pumps up into the, the 55 gallon barrel and then the sediments, solids settle down into the bottom where I can suck them out with my diaphragm pump, you know, and then I can put them, put them in my aerobic stabilizer um, for later. So I guess the biggest challenge that I have continually run into is crashing my system, um, different systems, you know, learning over and over again. And that's what drove me into back to the soil and back to using aquaponics as, as a feed and then eventually as an inoculant. If that, and I, I was trying to explain the difference in the way I look at it earlier, maybe didn't explain that well enough. And in some of the, the talks earlier, the way I saw folks using the similar system was I saw them using it as a feed where they're growing in containers and they're having to continually feed the plants where I'm growing in a, in a larger pot, if you will. Um, and so I don't need as much feed. And so it's kind of acts, acts more as a biological inoculant, meaning that we're just really, my goal uh, in there, I'm sure there's some biostimulant activity for sure, but my main goal is to dro keep dropping those aquatic uh, microbes into the system because I see the benefit in terpene production. I mean. We've had a ton of people talk about that. I know you've done a ton of tests, Steve, but straight up, uh, whatever the fish are putting in there, um, that is, is boosting the terpenes <clears throat> and the trichome production by far, you know. 
so yeah, I, and I ran into that, that, uh, you know, clogging my system up in my emitters. Um, I think that really filtration and understanding filtration is, is probably the biggest part of this, you know, getting clean, clean water. See if we can find some videos when it was uh, uh, pre-harvest. <laughs> um, the, uh, uh, what are some of the other differences you notice between growing with and without the aquaponic supplementation uh, uh, to help your soil plants? Um, nitrogen, um, definitely. I mean, obviously you're getting a lot of nitrogen out of the, out of the fish poop. So I'll have to boost with, with calcium a little bit more, you know, if I'm not using it. Um, you know, when, I, when I'm not using fish poop, I have my, it's kind of so ingrained in my system, it's hard for me to really say what it's like without that, right? Um, it's in my compost, it's in my bed, every bed I have, everywhere my property has been sprayed with fish poop, a lot. I see that you use a powder lactobacillus. I think a lot of people haven't had a chance to work with that. How, how, what have your experiences been with the powdered lacto versus the, the other versions? Yeah, so my, my initial experience with lacto was uh, with KNF, um, Korean Natural Farming, and, and making lactobacillus with uh, just culturing it out of uh, rice wash, you know, in the air outside and, and kind of selecting for it with the milk process. Um, I'm sure folks are familiar with that. If you're not familiar, um, you can go check out Chris, Chris Trump. He spoke uh, yesterday. I mean, you check out his YouTube. I think it's, uh, it's, um, Chris Trump um, on YouTube, but uh, it's basically a way to heart to, to, to grab lactobacillus from, from the air and it, and it works really well. And, and so I started using that as uh, almost as an anaerobic digester in, in systems uh, where we, we want to you know pull, digest some of that anaerobic bacteria at the bottom. Or maybe if I had a plant that was in a pot that went anaerobic or different things like that. Um, when I met Steve, I really, he really uh, was like, dude, you got to start dumping this stuff in your aquaponic system. And uh, that's where I was like, man, you get, that's a lot of milk, you know, and, um, and a lot to have on standby. And, and so I actually got approached by my buddy uh, recently, um, the Nick from the Rooted Leaf, and he hit me up with this powdered food grade lactobacillus. Um, and I was like, wow. And he started telling me about how potent it was how many you know I can't I can't quote how many you know bacteria or whatever there is but it, it's it intensely loaded and, and you only need to use like a, under a gram to feed a huge system it's so loaded and so and the other thing that I really liked about it is that it's it's a shelf stable product that I don't have to make um, that I can just buy and it's actually pretty cheap and it's food grade um, so yeah I we got we he, we actually put together a little uh um, microbial program that we, we, we offer on, on one of my, my website, regenerativeseeds.com. And we did a soil conditioner and a microbial inoculant, which the microbial inoculant is aloe powder, coconut powder, and uh, the powdered lactobacillus. Um, so that's a, you know, and someone actually asked me on, on Instagram today, um, other surfactants you could use for fish that, that, you know, that were not yucca or saponin based. And I, I didn't realize, but but the aloe is, is kind of nice and, and, and works as a, as a, as a mild surfactant, uh, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Aloe would be a great option for, for something that would work for that application. That would be fish compatible for sure. 
Yeah, we also have a sap in um, a mixture, but that, that to be clear, you do not want to put that in your system. Um, every time I talk about it, I want to make sure to say it. And, and that's, a, you know, a lot of the devils, it devils in the details with all this stuff. You know, I, I field a lot of questions and I see a lot of confusion over people not realizing like that because one person had an experience in, in, you know, in their scenario that it doesn't necessarily translate because there's this maybe one or two factors that are different that make or break the whole system, you know? Um, just like I was talking about, you know, the difference between container garden, gardening or growing and, and true, you know, attached to the earth, living soil, you know? We heard this from some of the other speakers earlier, this conference about, it's more important about uh, being uh, uh, on the ratio, you know, the right ratios um, uh, and having everything in balance. And that matters just as much for your microbes as it does for your nutrients. And uh, I think you're, you're you know, uh, what you're saying very much supports that. Yeah, I'm, I'm you know, even challenging, my, getting challenged myself. I heard um, Josh and Kelly from Dragonfly, they, they spoke at yesterday as well. They uh, sent me a link uh, last week from this uh, guy, Dr. Zach Bush. And I haven't heard the whole talk, truth be told, but the, the beginning part about it, of the talk, he quoted uh, a study that came in in 2018. And this is, he was talking about the human biome, biome, biome. And he's talking about, you know, like in instances where somebody has to take an antibiotic for whatever reason, and it's been off, it's been, you know, recommended as, you know, in the last whatever, 10 years that you take some sort of probiotic to, you know, rebuild your biome. And um, the probiotics that are available, like most of them are, are two or three bacillus strains, definitely not any fungi. Um, they're just not very diverse, you know. Um, so I'm kind of, in, in, in some way, I'm really curious. The study came out and said basically that folks that uh, had an antibiotic, you know, issue, you know, destroyed their system and then re-tried re to load it with a probiotic actually were less successful at creating a, a diverse biome than somebody who had had the antibiotic and, and just taken nothing, um, which was really interesting to me to, to think that, you know, you're overloading these certain um microbes and that they're they're out competing the diversity that is naturally present you know so i think it's you know to your point it's very important to not overload on anything and to be very subtle um i am a i'm a very not subtle person and my naturally in my personality i like to go fast and do things quick and and uh you know i used to like very extreme fast sports and um, gardening has really kicked my ass in that and had to teach me you know, over and over again, like a little bit does, goes a lot longer than a, than, than a lot, you know. What are some of the other regenerative practices that you've had a lot of success with or that are maybe a little less common or a little less well-known? Um, uh, well, I guess in my... You know, let me answer this question real quick first. Someone asked if I put the fish uh, fish compost in before my thermal heat up or in my compost or after. Um, I do it after because it, it would reheat the thing up and I'd have to keep going, you know. So I, so I do it in the beginning, sorry. And I do it in the beginning. If I did it at the, at the end, I would have to recompost it. Um, sorry, what was your question again? Things that I do differently? Is there any uh, maybe lesser known um, uh, natural farming methods that you're using or regenerative practices that you're using that maybe people not be, might not be aware of? Um, well, I think in, in design, 
you know, like when you use the word regenerative, um, my mind goes to uh, permaculture. You know, what I see from permaculture design, my mind goes to um, growing outdoors, you know, growing with a big diversity of, of plants and, and, and things mixed in and, and so many bugs and everything balanced. And um, I am all about that. But I, you know, I, I, had, I go back going back to the kind of earlier when I was talking about my experience on this aeroponic farm. The, the thing that the, the goal there was actually to be a sustainable farm and it was based upon running numerics, right? So most of the, the food produced in the US, and this is, this is similar in, in other countries, is, is grown in the warmer climates, uh, in the good climate, and then shipped all over the place, right? And, and uh, as, it's, as, it, as, as when you crank the numbers, it, the, the shipping cost is so gnarly in, in terms of environmental impact. And so what folks have found is that it's actually, I, I wish I could quote you some studies, I, I don't have them, I need to dig in and get some, but folks have found that it's actually better, in, in this instance, it was better to grow do an indoor aeroponic lettuce grow in a warehouse with no supplemental light. It was more sustainable to do it outside of a major city like the Minneapolis Twin Cities um, and only have to get, you know, 45, 45, 30 minute drive to the city than it was to ship it all the way across. It was more sustainable. And so, um, and that's really one thing I appreciate about what you bring to the conference, Steve, is you kind of bring this aspect of sustainable greenhouse design. And so, that's my, my long way to get to my answer is that I think the design of my greenhouse and the design of the way I do things, knowing that I'm 45 minutes away from Seattle and 45 minutes away from Vancouver, um, I can't technically sell my weed, my products to Vancouver. I can't, you know, at this point, but someday I'm going to be able to. And it's, I've designed my system to, to grow the, this tropical plant where the people live, where the mass majority of the people live so that it doesn't have to be shipped. Um, and, I, and I actually think that there, there's extreme sustainability. And so when you look at my farm uh, or you look at my greenhouse, you might like, think like, you know, that picture right there with me hanging the dehum and the purple lights, You're like, man, that's not sustainable, dude, you're blowing it up. But in terms of production, and especially compared to indoor, um, you know, outdoor, I can't grow here. You saw you saw that little video. That's my that's what happens outdoor here. Ship goes bud rock because it's so wet. And I live where the, the majority of the people live in my state. I live right here next to them versus on the east side. I could grow, but I have to ship it, you know, 200, 300 miles across the state to get over here, you know. Um, so it's actually I use because my lights are supplemental. You know, I have the greenhouse. I have the the, the sun. I use 36 lights in this space where if it was indoor, I'd use 112 lights. And so I can afford to use a little bit of dehumidifier, um, which runs on electricity in my area, which I just said is, is the electricity is created from, from snow melt. Um, so it's actually a pretty sustainable energy that I'm using um, in the scheme of things. And, and it works out really well. And, and I guess my point is to, that you really got to step back in your system and your design and your plans and, and say, you know, what really is sustainable in, in my situation? You know, like, do I need to buy peat from, from Canada? Do I need to ship in cocoa from India, um, et cetera, all the, all the way down, all the decisions, um, what's going to be the most sustainable for, for, for you, for, for it all, all the way through the gas. Um, yeah.
What tips do you have for people as far as making compost teas and ferments? I know you've experimented with lots of different methods and have a lot of uh, uh, experience with that. Yeah, um, I think I can't speak to like necessarily, I see a lot of folks adding a lot of stuff. Um, they'll, you know, different kelps and things like that. And, and one thing that like, you know, kind of back to the point of doing a little bit less is more um, when I tell people that I put in five ounces of molasses to a hundred gallons of brew, they're like, oh, that's nothing. I'm like, yeah, I've had a five gallon bucket of molasses for five years and it's probably three quarters full. You know, I, I, I hardly, because if I throw too much in there, you stimulate things too much. And, and this, you know, the way I learned it from Elaine, right. It's a circle, right. You, the, 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 everyone's eating, shitting, fucking and reproducing. And if you get that thing, and, and in that same cycle, you're go, there, some of these microbes are going through anaerobic and aerobic stages, right? And we don't want to get caught in, a, in an anaerobic stage and, and apply anaerobic um, microbes to our system. And so feeding them less, just giving them just a little bit to boost the system helps me kind of mitigate some of those things. Um, and so, and same with kelp, you know, or other additives, you know, and so I do, you know, when I brew, when I make a brew, it's always the compost um, or the, the microbial source, a little bit of molasses. I let it go for 30 hours. Um, I don't go to the full 36 because I need time to apply. Um, and I, I just want to play it safe. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll only, I'll do an inoculate or a, um, instead of compost teal, I'll, I'll do a compost extract, which instead of brewing it out for, for hours, I'll maybe just massage the material in or just let it bubble for, you know, an hour or two and kind of massage it in there. And that, that's a really safe way to avoid any uh, aerobic issues. And um, actually I recommend that for folks that don't have really advanced equipment and pumps and, and everything, that that's the way to do it because it's so safe and simple. And, and that's the way I had some really good success for years um, I didn't even realize what I was doing and I was just cutting the step and being trying to apply something faster. But what I was really doing was giving myself, um, keeping myself out of those anaerobic zones. So then at the end of, you know, back to it, at the end of the brew or um, extraction, if you will, I'll then add my, my supplements. If I want to add a little kelp or, you know, sometimes I'll add even a little bit of lactobacillus, that, that dry lactobacillus at the end. Um, you can, I could do things like that because I'm trying to brew a fungal dominant tea. Um, sometimes I'll add some calcium, calcium in there. Um, um, fulvic acid, I'm, I'm always fucking with fulvic and humic acid and just kind of boosting those a little bit. Uh, mostly the fulvic. I want to make sure there's a good 1% fulvic acid in there. Um, that's something that I like to spray foliar too. Um, I, like, I like to spray foliar and I'm really interested in, and I, I find great success with uh, fulvic acid uh, sprays. Um, in flour, or I'm sorry, in badge, not in flour. Um, yeah, and what I find that the fulvic acid is, you know, I'm not science enough to really break it down, but the, but in my layman's way of thinking about it, it's a more complex um, acid and it is a full nutrient and it helps chelate all the other stuff that's going on in the system, you know, where you may not have iron or, or this and that uh, available, it helps kind of the plant just uptake and, and, and sort through the process.
Awesome. Um, and uh, what other, um, you know, you do a lot of different types of Korean natural farming. Uh, you also do some jadam and some other things as well. What are your um, advice to people kind of getting started down that realm? Uh, and maybe any do's or don'ts or pitfalls that you can help people avoid? So it's a, a lot of people are just starting to learn about that and trying to incorporate these different practices together. I know you've had a, a lot of trial and error on that stuff. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of the same stuff. Don't don't go overboard and 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 it's really one thing that's really cool about it is it's a, a in Korean natural farming you can create so much so many nutrients and and um, inoculants off your own property and really easily. Um, one thing that I that's pretty common is people go super crazy over making FPJs um, and FFJs and and um, quite frankly I don't use them at all. Um, and that's not to say that no one should, um, but it's there's so much sugar in there that I, I find that I that it, it feeds the 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 bugs that are that are around. And because my system is open, you know, somewhat to the to the natural um, environment, um, it's a little bit harder for me to lock that down. So I don't fuck with any FPJs. Not that I'm saying you shouldn't, but it's definitely where you shouldn't start. That's what I am saying. You should definitely not start with FPJs. That should be kind of last on the list. Um, first on the list is to learn how to make IMO, which is IMO to me is compost. Um, and it's, it's really nice because um, in the process of making IMO, it's like small batch compost. And there's not too many examples um, out there of, of small batch composting. You know, and so folks get really discouraged thinking they have to make a big six foot pile uh, when, when you could actually do this really small. And so that's what I like about the instructions and teaching on how to make IMO is that the whole focus on it is on water and moisture content. Um, and then you, you, you use the right materials. You have the right uh, sources, equal parts, carbon and car carbohydrate and carbon. Um, and you can, you can weigh it out, you know, so you have a, have a nice, you know, uh, level, um, and then from there, once you kind of dial in building the microorganisms, because they are the true players. They are the true ones that, that create the nutrients and make everything work. Like every, all the stuff that everyone's been talking about, the rhizophagy cycle and all this stuff, it's, it's about the microbes and having them present and having the conditions set, uh, i.e. warm enough and the, bright, the proper, proper moisture content to let them do their thing and run their life cycle and interact with the plant and feed the plant as it, as it wants. Um, so once you kind of go from there, I, I, I would say next step is OHN in my mind. Um, there's other easy aspects to go grab. So you, FAA is really easy to, to grab, but you know, um, I don't use a ton of FAA, which is fish amino acid um, because I have my fish system and I, I like my fish poop better than fish guts, to be honest. Um, they're not, they're not equally the same thing. I'm not supposing they are, but, um, I like, I like the fish poop and I like the, the aerobically stabilized fish poop, but, uh, the OHN is really interesting and, and it's, uh, it's a nutrient extraction from a series of, of roots. It's angelica, turmeric, ginger, garlic. Um, I can't remember them all. It, it's, you know, um, it's been a while. Um, I actually, because it takes three months to make, um, I just, I've just bought it from friends like Chris Trump, uh, you know, for a while, I just buy his cause it's really good. And I actually like, it's got cinnamon in there too. I like drinking it. Um, 
it's a, but it's a full nutrient spectrum and you, you, you do an alcohol extraction over three months, you know, and you, you crush all these things up, throw it in a jar and stir it for three months and you just get a slow tincture. Basically it's got licorice in it. Thank you. Um, and um, so those are kind of the ones that I would start off, off with because the, the OHN really helps you, helps you build your IMO, your, your compost, if you will. It gives, it gives rise to, uh, it gives nutrients and energy to the, the microorganisms that you've collected on your rice samples. Uh, I know that you've tried a, a large amount of different types of cover crops. So what kind of cover crops have you found a lot of success with and maybe which ones would you steer people away from? Uh, I would steer away from ryegrasses and clovers. Um, ryegrasses attract uh, aphids. Clovers can just be too much and draw, draw too much nitrogen to the system and you don't have as much control. Um, so I, I uh, Lane, I'm a big fan of Lane Ingham and I, all my learning and understanding really goes back to her, her teaching. And, um, so she directed me to use dichondra, um, and creeping lavender. And so those are kind of my two base ones. I have some blue star creeper in there and they're low growing. They're very low to the ground and they're, uh, they're more perennial, which means they're more woody. And more, and they lean towards more fungally dominant bacteria, um, which I think for me works really well in my cannabis system. And because I'm only putting new plants in there every two months, two three months, um, it's not too too big a deal. Like you were looking at that video right there, you can go click on the second one right there if, if you still can, Steve. Um, and that is me kind of mixing in some compost into my dichondra, and I think there's some some creeping lavender in there that I'm just kind of nestling it in and, and it, 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 you know, it, it gets disturbed and knock a little bit back, but then it just grows right back. Um, I like to throw other things in there in the system to kind of like, you know, deter bugs or, or attract certain ones. Like I have some calendula in there and I grow some garlic and um, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of stuff in there to be honest, all scattered all over the place, but that's kind of the bulk of what I'm, what I'm throwing at it, you know, outside. Oh, I, I like a lot of sweet alyssum too. Forgot about that one. Um, sweet alyssum is a good is a good house for beneficials, specifically for like um, the aureus, um, which will come in and hit the pollen and, and move out, you know, um, along with a lot. I'm just looking to see if we have any other questions in chat here. So it says someone asking, Dempure wouldn't tell me how they made bulk ferments without added sugar to create the anaerobic conditions for fermenting on their discord. Um, well, you don't necessarily need the sugars. It's, it's in a lot of uh, the, it's in a lot of the plants. So, you know, if you're doing like, like what they, I see them do and, and I, you know, can't speak to their exact tech, but they'll do uh, anaerobic water. So they'll throw a bunch of like, for instance, in the, in the middle of summer, I'll see them doing a male, a male tea where they'll collect all their male plants, male cannabis plants, chop them up and throw them into a, a big 250 gallon IBC and let them uh, hang out for, I don't know, 24, 36, 72 hours, however long they go. And they don't aerate it. They just let it go anaerobic and extract those nutrients. And then they, then they do, 
they do add, I think they, I don't know if they add sugar. I don't, I would doubt that it's sugar. It's probably something more like your cone or a sweet potato or, or something like that, that has some, some, something in there. And, and then they'll brew that up uh, aerobically for, for 24 hours or whatever, and then apply it. Um, Do you want to tell everybody about the conference? Sure. Um, yeah, so there, I put on the, the Science of Regenerative Organic Cannabis Cultivation Conference. Um, you can check out uh, info at regenerativeorganiccannabis.com. Um, it's, uh, it's a pretty cool, cool deal that I got kind of got, got, that I started and got to be a part, get to be a part of. Um, it's a four, four, stage uh, conference. We, we hit up four different locations. Uh, we start in Humboldt you know, the last weekend of January, and then we go to Michigan the last week in February, then to Maine, Dresden, Maine, the last weekend of March, and then to Oklahoma City, where you're at, Steve, um, the last weekend of April. And there's a, you know, a team of, of speakers. Um, you can look on the, the, on the webpage. We have the history of past speakers. Elaine's been there. Uh, Chris Trump has been there. He'll be there this year. Suzanne Wainwright, the bug lady, has been there and will be there. Um, Steve uh, will be there speaking on aquaponics and greenhouse design. Uh, Kevin Jodry will be there on Sunday talking about genetics. Um, we'll have a bunch of breeders panels. Um, we do a big seed swap on Sunday. Um, in addition, we're having uh, Joshua. On Friday, we have Joshua Steensland. If you don't know him, go check him out. He's a big uh, hero, uh, living soil uh, grower here in, in uh, Tri-Cities, Washington, where I'm from, actually. He's out there. Um, and uh, also stoked to have back um, Eric Branstead of Light Depth Solutions. He's a greenhouse uh, climate advisor um, and kind of all things greenhouse growing. He is he is the guru. And so uh, I'm really excited to have him back. Um, yeah, it's a three-day event. We go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, pretty, pretty hard. And um, it's all about education. There's no booths, no sponsors, um, none of that. Even, even, even the speakers who have companies, I'm pretty strict with them saying, look, th this is not an opportunity to sell things. Um, I ask them not to speak about the products they sell. Um, just simply because I, I, I want, not that I don't want to support them because I do want folks to support, support these individuals because everyone is trying to earn a living and do their thing and support their family. Um, it's, it's that I don't want the atmosphere to be about sales. And it's, it's really hard for us uh, as individuals to shut that off when they're, you know, when you're trying to make money and raise your family. So it's just to kind of like cut that, that temptation at the door and, and my goal is to create a really earnest education and um, humble environment. Um, I ask the speakers to be there for at least two days. I pay for two days of their, two nights of their stay. Um, I ask them to be present and, and everyone is uh, willing and stoked to come and be present and, and not just be present sitting, listening to uh, um, the lectures. Most of the time you'll see the speakers spread out throughout the facility um, in, in different places. Uh, sometimes they'll have a microscopes or Suzanne will be set up with a table of bugs and uh, Kevin Jodry will usually be out in the smoke room just fucking hanging out and talking with people and answering questions. And, and to me, that's, that's one of the biggest, coolest parts about it is, um, is the connection with humans and the connection with other like-minded folks who have been doing the same thing that you've been doing forever. And, 
um, <clears throat> the genetic swap is huge. And so it's, it's uh, become a really cool thing that I'm just super proud to be a part of. And um, yeah, you can, you can get tickets. They're available now, regenerativeorganiccannabis.com. This year, um, I'm adding in a component, a breeding, a team breeding component. So everyone who buys a ticket will get a pack of uh, root beer cross chem dog special reserve F2s made by myself, selected here up in Washington, up in the, the Northwest Washington, where I said it's very wet and cold and, and we have very hard winters or falls. And you saw in that earlier in that video, how gnarly it was. It, I had, I did these plants stood up through all that. And I just put them, brought them down um, like a week ago. And, um, so I'm going to remake, remake. I have, I've, I've already revegged the mom and, and two, two moms and uh, one male, and I'm going to remake those seeds and uh, attach that to, send that out to everybody. And we're going to try to turn it into an NFT where we can get it on the blockchain um, for purposes of um, working together as a, as an actual team, so we can create um, varieties within each region, you know. So we have 200 some people that are that will attend each conference, and those 200 people. Can, can go through those F2s, right? Which the F2s, if you understand genetics, has the, the, the biggest genetic variability. So in those F2s, you're gonna see all the grandparents, all the parents, um, even the great-great-grandparents you'll see represented in those F2s. So we'll all hop online together and do some, do some team voting. Uh, we'll look at pictures, testing, and uh, we'll essentially make a couple varieties that are regional specific and put them out on the market. And the, the reason to make it an NFT um, without taking too much time is because it's on the blockchain and we can build in um, a smart contract that will allow everyone who participates, i.e. everyone who went to the conference, will, will able to be, uh, take part in the profits of it, right? So um, I can, we can write in the algorithm that, you know, how, how it all works and it can happen um, automatically. And, and I'm in the process of, of working that out. It's, it's quite complicated on the back end, but um, the idea is really, really awesome. And uh, in addition, uh, I know we're, we're coming out of time here, Steve, but in addition to that, the first 50 people to buy a ticket to each region will get a pack of um, seeds uh, to be announced from uh, my, my, my co-brain project with uh, Lime Rising Nick, House of Selections. So um, yeah, thank you very much, Steve, for having me on here. Um, a little bit less informal, but wanted to just kind of uh, talk through my experience um, as I've stumbled through the, this cool world. That's awesome, man. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show again. Uh, and um, uh, how can people find you? I know they can find you at Dutch, Bloom, Dutch underscore Blooms on Instagram. How else can they find you? Yeah, that's the, the major way. I have a couple Instagram accounts, but I, I really only check Dutch Blooms. Um, you can also get through me to me at through the website regenerativeseeds.com or regenerativeorganiccannabis.com. Um, I get those emails directly to my box, and so that's a good way um, to get get at me. But if you just have questions, DM on Instagram is, is the best way. <laughs>